So we're going to start by playing a game this morning. You like games, right? So here's the game. I'm going to show you, and if you're kind of like a marketing person, you're going to love this because it's going to prove all your points that you like to make. Uh, but we're going to start with this game. I'm going to show you a, a logo, and you're going to say what that logo represents. All right, got it? Pretty simple, right? So here's the first one. What does this mean? Milwaukee Bucks, right? Are you depressed? You know, I, I actually put these slides together earlier this week, and I fully expected to be here, put this up, and say, we are headed to game seven. And I fully expected that all the way up to the fourth quarter last night and then was bummed out. But So uh, though it could be depressing, we had a great season, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. So there you go, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. How about this one? Nike, right? Piece of cake. You guys know what that is. A simple swoosh, and you know what that's talking about. Well, let's get a little more local. What about this one? Rafters, right. Wisconsin Rapids, River Rafters, baseball. There it is. And now, what about this one? This one's going to get a little harder. Are you ready? Giordano's Pizza. That is heaven on earth. That's what that is right there. That's a little taste of heaven here on earth. Giordano's famous stuff, Chicago pizza. I'm a Chicago pizza snob, so I had to throw that one in there. But what I want you to see in these things is that one little symbol or one little logo or one little thing can speak and represent so much. One little thing can speak and represent so much. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage of the Bible, one verse that speaks so much about becoming a Christian and what it means to walk with God. One snapshot from the Bible. There's a lot in the Bible that talks about becoming a Christian. But what I want to do this morning is spend some time in one specific verse that shows us that. I'm beginning a series called From the Heart um, where we're going to discuss and look at what it means uh, to be a Christian. And in this series, From the Heart, I'm trying to, what I want to do is give two messages, it's a two-week series, before I leave on sabbatical, that helps set you up for the summer. And so what I want to do this morning is tackle the question, how does a person really become a Christian? How does a person really become a Christian? Because in our mind, I think we kind of know, we have these thoughts, and we have these ideas, but do we grab those from our church past, or do we really understand what the Bible says about how a person becomes a Christian? And so I want to lay that out and look at that today. And so uh, the reason this is important is because I think if you talk to people and they share their story about how they become a Christian, they might say things like, I grew up in a Christian home my whole life, or they might point to a, a moment where they understood why Jesus died on the cross, and then they prayed a prayer to ask God into their life. And it often starts with us. Our story of how we became a Christian, how we became a follower, how we understood who God is and how we live for him often begins with us. And what I want us to see is that God is involved in our story probably long before we even know. And the fact is theologians have been debating this, how much of coming to Christ and, and becoming a Christian is about us and our decision and how much of it is God changing our life. And there's some mystery here, right? There's some, the reason this has been debated for a long time is because we are diving into something that's kind of mysterious and deep. And the reason it's mysterious and deep is because we're dealing with God. 
I love theology. I love studying theology. But you know what theology means? It means the study of God. And when you are taking and, and diving into the study of God, you are studying something, you're studying a person that is infinite. You're studying a person that can't be figured out by a human being because if he could, he wouldn't be God. And so to dive into this and look at this, there's some mystery surrounding this. And so we're going to dive into the mystery. But you may be saying, what's the big deal if we say our Christian story is kind of about us? And it is in a way, but when we primarily start there and say it's all about me, it almost puts this foundational thought that Christianity is all about what I want it to be. That Christianity is kind of how I view it, and Christianity is what I think of it. It reminds me of greeting cards these days. I'll confess, I'm one of those last-minute greeting card people when it comes to birthdays, anniversary, Mother's Day, all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of getting there to the last moment. I got picked through all the remains, which are really kind of lame and weak. But when you look at greeting cards, even today, I don't know if you notice this, but look, it's kind of more about you buying the card than it is the person you're trying to buy the card for. You know, it's like, I see this in you, and you made me this, and you made me that. And I'm, it kind of drives me crazy when I look at this thing. And a friend of mine pointed this out, and I said, man, you're absolutely right. When I see this, it, it drives me nuts. And I think in our social, the reason for that is I think our marketing people have picked up on our social media tendency to put ourselves out front And when we let that slide into the story of what God does in our heart, it can change the view of Christianity. And it can lead us down something that isn't really, really real. And so what I want to do this morning is look at this one passage and show you through this one passage what it means to become a Christian and how God takes that and shapes the human heart. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a crazy, crazy book of the Bible because Ezekiel, the guy who wrote it, is a weird dude. I don't know if you ever spent time in Ezekiel, but the guy is weird. But God does a lot of amazing things and says a lot of amazing things to this weird dude. So if you open your Bible, maybe if you're new to the Bible, glad you're here. Uh, it's about uh, three-quarters of the way into the right. If you see Psalms, keep going to the right. Proverbs, keep going to the right. Isaiah, keep going to the right. Jeremiah, keep going to the right. Uh, if you get to Lamentations, you'll find Ezekiel. If you hit Daniel, uh, you've gone too far. I'll be on page 768 in the Bible that we provide for you here in the worship server, 768. If there was one passage to describe how God changes the human heart, this is it. And in this passage, what I want us to look at is five moves that God makes to change a life. Five moves that God makes to change a life. We're talking about uh, the God of the universe coming and encountering a person, a human being, with a heart that is hardened, a heart that is resistant to them. I'm talking about God coming to a human being that isn't looking for God, that's just going off on their own way, not even aware or even thinking God exists. And then an encounter happens that God does, and we want to dive into that mystery this morning. So the very first thing, the very first move God makes is what I call the move of an open heart. The move of an open heart. Look at verse 26. It starts right off. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. This isn't a new heart, meaning a new Christian heart, that you were not getting there yet. This is just in the beginning. What this is, is this is an openness to knowing what the story of Jesus Christ is all about. 
This is God coming to a heart that's hardened, a heart that's resistant. And before that person can make a step and say, I want to follow God, God does some heart work leading up to that first. And part of what he does is he comes to this heart and he initiates this process. And what I want you to grab is that God initiates the process of us being with him. He makes the first move. You may say, I went into church on my own, I heard this, I decided, I, I, I. And what I would say is God made the first move before you were even aware of it. He put in you this, he worked in your heart to get you to the spot where you would even come to that church. He worked in your heart before you got there. I love Jen's story about the green beans. But what I love is God was at work in Jen's heart long before she made that plate of green beans. He was getting her to that place, and he does that with all of us. He moves us and gives us his open heart. You see, he works internally to get a work outside of us. See, we often do the opposite. When we want change, we want a uh, transformation in our life, we focus on the external. God works on the internal, and that is so crucially important because when we're dealing with a problem like sin, which we all have, and that's the problem that we deal with in coming to God, it doesn't work just to paint whitewash over sin. God has to do heart surgery. There has to be something more significant. There has to be a life change. And the first thing God has to do is take a heart and have them be open to who he is and what he has done. And we see this throughout the scripture. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he prayed this for the people who weren't there yet. He prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance. See, he's praying the eyes of your heart that you may see that you may even be open to. This isn't salvation yet. This is, he's praying, God, will you even like come to the table? Let them come to the table and have understanding about what this whole thing is about. And when you are at that place, you have to have that first. That has to come first before you can say, I'm this Christian. Because the Bible tells us that we in ourselves, before we come to Christ, we are dead. The Bible says that we are dead in our sin. Oftentimes people have said that becoming a Christian is kind of like this analogy, that you're in an ocean and you're drowning, you're swimming, you're flying all over and you're you're flailing all over and you don't know if you're going to make it and someone throws you this life preserver called Jesus Christ and the gospel and you swim to it and you grab this life preserver and when you grab that life preserver, boom, you're a Christian. I don't like that analogy because it almost doesn't realize and paint the picture what the Bible says of us before we are a Christian. A better analogy is this. You were dead. You were drowning. You were going down. In fact, you were about five feet underwater, continuing to go down to the bottom. And God went through with his mighty hand and grabbed you by the collar, pulled you out, awakened you, revived you, and brought you to life. See, that's the picture what the Bible says. It's not that we somehow make this thing happen. We were dead in our sin and and he has to come and awaken our hearts so that we can even come to the table and understand what God did. And so he brings us to that spot where he does this amazing thing and he gives us an open heart. Number two, along these same lines, is the move of an open spirit. Look at verse 26 again. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Again, that's not 
the Holy Spirit. We're not converted yet. If you notice, Spirit is not capitalized. The Spirit part he's talking about here is your mind, your will, and your emotion. God initiates by creating in you an open heart and an open spirit. Theologians say conversion in this verse hasn't happened yet. This is still God awaking us to understand our need for him. This is a huge step. This is where all of our presuppositions about God start to get dismantled. This is where all those ideas we have or that we think about what he's like before we're a Christian start to chip away and get down. This is where we start to get different desires. This is where we start to get different motivations. This is where we start to get different pleasures in life and what we want to get out of life. And this is, yes, where we start to even get different fears as we think about what would come This is where we start to hate our sin that's in us, not because we know it'll bring punishment, but because uh, we start to learn how offensive it is to God and how offensive it is to us. You see, God gives us this open spirit to start to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to earth to go to a cross to die for our sins so that he would pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be in a loving relationship with God. Work in our lives has to happen before we even understand that and get to that point. This is best described as an awakening in the soul of a person so that they can respond to God. This is an awakening of that to them. Uh, there's a pastor in India named Pastor Raju. And uh, I loved reading his story this week. And Pastor Raju, before he became a pastor, uh, was just a regular guy and he... Um, was a Hindu worshiper. And if you know anything about the Hindu faith, you know they have thousands of gods. They worship thousands of gods. And if you went to India, you'd see all these temples lined up. I've never been there, but I've talked to a lot of people. There's just thousands of Hindu temples all over the place. And you can go into any of these temples. And, and this guy, Raju, was diagnosed with leukemia. He was diagnosed with the worst form of leukemia, a terminal leukemia. And he in desperation, because he couldn't afford treatments and these kinds of things, went to as many of these Hindu temples as he can, begging for healing, that something would happen, that one of these gods would heal him. And he went home that night after going through temple to temple to temple in his town. He fell asleep and he had a dream. And in this dream, he says that it began to rain and he was standing there in the rain. And then it began to not just rain, but like monsoon rain. It just was pouring over him. He just said this water was just pouring over him. And then all of a sudden he wrote in this dream that all of a sudden the water turned to blood and just started washing him and pouring over him. He just became saturated in blood. And then he said, then he heard this voice that says, not the power of any other God that's going to heal you except the God of heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be made clean by the power of the blood of Jesus. And he woke up And his next doctor appointment, he found out he was completely healed from this leukemia. And it blew his mind. And so he began to find out what was going on. He found a pastor in town and they gave him a Bible. And the pastor started going through the Bible with him. And later, lo and behold, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and became a Christian. And he later became a pastor. But here's the deal. God was doing so much in his life before that moment that he became a Christian. And you might be saying, well, of course he did. He had this amazing dream. He had leukemia. He was healed. He did. How could you miss that? 
And that is dramatic. And sometimes when God takes a human heart and turns them towards him, he does some really dramatic, powerful things to do that. But sometimes he does things that you may not even pick up. But here's my point. Whether it's dramatic or whether it's something that you don't even pick up, God makes the first move. And he's doing things in your life to get you to understand who he is long before you get on your knees and ask him into your life. God is the one who makes that move. Number three, the move of the removing of the stony heart. Let's look at our verse in 26 again. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. That's this awakening, this willingness. And then I will remove your heart of stone. God comes, and this doesn't mean that he takes away the ability to sin. It doesn't even mean that he takes away our desire for sin. This means he comes to a person who's hardened, who a person who's resisting him, to a person that doesn't want anything to do with him, and he begins to dismantle their heart. As a pastor, one of the crazy things, and maybe this is sick and twisted on my part, but one of the crazy things I love, and one of the greatest things I love, is to see a person who's being dismantled by the power of God. They're realizing that their life is not worth living anymore, that they need something else, that things aren't fulfilling, things aren't satisfying, and they come, and I'm almost to the spot where I can see that the wheels are falling off the cart, and they're like, I've been trusting in all these other things. I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what's going on, and I know what's coming. That's why I love it, and I see it again and again. And what's happening is God is kicking out all those things that we hold on to because those things can make our heart hardened against him. And he's bringing us and he's moving and he's taking them through this broken state. There's this newfound humility that causes them to realize their need for God. And I see this over and over, that God comes and he sweetly breaks them with his truth. See, many times, especially when it comes to people we love, we want to force people to become a Christian. We want to make it happen. And we try to convince and we try to do all these things. And what I want you to see this morning is becoming a Christian is not so much about what we do externally, but what God does internally. Becoming a Christian is God moving inside the human heart. And the biggest thing that we can do to help facilitate that is to pray and ask God to move in powerful ways in this person's life to ask him to do his heart work that's described in this verse, to get people to that place. And one of the things he does, after he gives this open heart, this open spirit, he begins to remove this heart of stone. There was a businessman in London uh, named Lindsay Clegg, and he uh, had all these properties. And uh, he was selling his properties, and he was trying to get rid of a bunch of them. And he took this buyer through this one warehouse of this property, and uh, he was really embarrassed because it was a disaster. He was like, every time we turned and looked at another room, there just was another big mess of things that will have to be cleaned or fixed or repaired. And then you go to another one, and he said, I started making all these excuses, telling him, you know, I promise we'll get somebody in to take care of this. I, I promise we'll get it. And he was apologizing. He just felt really upset about what this person's seeing. And finally, the potential buyer said, you know what, you don't have to worry about any of that because I'm not really interested in the building. In fact, when I buy this, I'm just going to tear the whole building down. Because I don't really want the building, I want the site the building is on. You see, God's kind of like that with our heart. He's not into just taking this heart that's hardened against him, this heart that doesn't know anything, and just kind of shaping it up a little bit. 
God is interested in the sight. He wants to remove the stony heart and do something completely new. See, becoming a Christian means you're a new creation. When you read the Bible about becoming a Christian, there's all sorts of newness language to it. It's about God making all things new. It's about having a new awakening, a new life. And part of that process is the removal of the stony heart, which leads us to move number four, which is the moving the move of giving a new heart. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is the point where a person becomes a Christian. This is a point where they say, yes, in this, again, a lot of mystery, a lot of different ways to this, but theologians argue that this is the spot, most agree, where the person now commits to following God. All the way up to this point is what theologians call regeneration, and I love that word. Jesus called it this in John 3 when he had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. And sometimes what we've been taught in the church is born again means that moment where we say, God, I, I, I repent, I believe, I want to become a Christian. But born again was actually this whole process of God bringing us to this place when we're born again. And see, if we declare somebody a Christian, or if we say we are a Christian, and we haven't gone through this whole process, we get a pretend Christian. But when you've gone through this whole process and God's working on your heart, the end result is this true conversion that happens, that takes place. When you get to this point, now we have a heart that can sense sin and feel conviction and be moved to repentance. Now we have a heart that longs to seek after God and live for his ways. Now we have a heart that gets so overwhelmed by the reckless love of God coming into our lives that we want to spend the rest of our days telling all these people about this amazing love of God we found that so blows us away compared to what we thought God was like. Now that we are experiencing and seeing that he's a God who forgives, who loves, who gives mercy, who gives grace, who gives power. Oh my goodness, we want to tell people about this God. This is where it happens when we get that kind of new heart. And finally, move number five is the move of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 again. I give you a new heart. I put a new spirit. That's this openness. It's awakening. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. And now verse 27, I will place my spirit. Notice it's capitalized and the spirit in verse 26 isn't. Verse 26 is more mind, will, emotion. Verse 27, my spirit capitalized. That's God himself. That's the Holy Spirit. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Notice something. What causes you to follow and obey God is the Holy Spirit living within you. So many times as Christians, we expect people who don't know God, who are far from God, to behave like Christians. Why didn't they just do this? Why don't they just do that? They can't. You cannot behave like a Christian unless the Holy Spirit has taken residence inside you, empowering you to fight your sin and overcome that by his presence and his power. That is the only way you can stand against the sin in your life. Up until that point, you are dead. You are dead in your sin. It's God that has to bring you to this process. So we can't expect people to behave in ways that are contrary to what God says. 
So the Spirit He gives us is the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit enters their soul and empowers them to live. This is an absolute amazing miracle of God bringing a person who is dead to life in power. There are a few things that rejoice the heart of a mother more than when she's pregnant and she feels that baby kicking inside of her. There are a few things that rejoice the heart of a young couple expecting a child when they go to the first appointment and they hear that heartbeat and they see that MRI image. It brings joy and gratitude that you can probably never even put a measurement on. On the other side of that, conversely, there are a few things in this life that we walk through that can cause more sorrow than watching one of our loved ones pass and leave this world. There are a few things that can bring more anguish and pain to our heart when, for some of us, we had to make that decision in a hospital room to say goodbye, and we watch that person move from this life into death and what comes. When in the beginning of life, There's so much joy and gratitude, and at the end of life, there can be so much heartache and anguish. Do you know why? Because life matters. Because life matters. This life matters. It's a precious, precious gift. And here's what I want you to see. If that is true in the natural, which I believe you'd all say it is true in the natural, even more so in the spiritual realm, This passage is giving us a picture of how God comes and invades a soul and brings it from death to life. How God comes and awakens a heart to understand who he is and then get this person to the place where they can understand what life's all about, why Jesus died on the cross, and to have them get to that spot where they get on their knees and invite him in and then making them new so that they become a new person in Christ. This is spiritual death to life. And if life matters so much in the human, earthly realm, it matters a ton in the spiritual realm. I would say even more, because the spiritual is dealing with the eternal. What happens after we're gone? Where life in the human, earthly realm is dealing with something very temporary. Life in the spiritual realm is dealing with the eternal. So if you haven't gotten anything from this, Here's what I want you to grab when you walk out. This is the main point I want you to see, is that being a Christian is not signing up on a membership role. Being a Christian is not attending church. Being a Christian is not even being born into a Christian family. Being a Christian is a work of God in the human soul. Being a Christian is a work of God in the human soul. It's this process where he comes to a person that is hardened and resistant, not even looking for him, and without them even knowing it sometimes, begins to move in their heart, soften their heart, turn their heart, give them a place at the table where they can begin to understand what Jesus did. He gives them a new heart and a new spirit, and then he begins to remove this heart as stone, 
And then he placed within him this new fleshly soft heart that responds to God and then places the Holy Spirit within him to seal this work that they may be all that God wants them to be. It's this process that Christians go through. Moving from death to life. From no power to being empowered. This is how God makes a Christian. This is how God transforms a life. There's a really, really cool Japanese art form called kintsukori. And maybe some of you have seen this. And in kintsukori, it's not only just an art form, but it's also kind of a a main idea. Kintsukori means golden repair. And in this art, what they do is they restore broken pottery with gold so that the imperfections or the brokenness actually are illuminated and they stand out compared to the rest of the pottery. They kind of are on, the imperfections and the brokenness is on display to the person looking at it, not tried to cover up and, and masked and cosmetic over like we often like to do. The artists of this believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it becomes even more beautiful. In Kintsukori, the true life of an object or a person begins the moment it breaks and it reveals that pain in a vulnerable way. You see, God is the ultimate Kintsukori artist. God takes us and he brings us through a a process that often breaks us. And then through that process, he puts us back together. And then he puts us on display. But here's what I want you to grab when it comes to Kinsukori. To be able to do that and say, here is my broken imperfections that God made. To be that kind of vulnerable. To be that kind of open and transparent. To be that kind of healthy. To say this is where it takes a whole process of God moving in your life to get you to that point. Because if you're that open, that vulnerable, and it's not real, and you're doing that out of something else, God has some steps he wants to do in the first before we get there. To be that vulnerable means that it's a true work of God. And God is the ultimate Kintsukori artist that takes us and allows us to go through brokenness, allows us to go through pain, and then puts us together, and then puts us on display to the world to say, here's what God's love is like this is what he is like and he is glorified see that's real christianity christianity isn't this dull dry tradition christianity is not this powerless duty christianity is the life of jesus christ the life of god the life of the holy spirit living inside you changing you and transforming you what's going on in your heart right now Where does God have you in this process? Maybe you're here and you're hearing this and you're like, man, I never thought of God like that. I thought religion was something completely different than what that guy's talking about. Maybe you're in this process where God is opening your heart to know him more. Maybe you're in this process where God's starting to change your want-tos and starting to massage your heart to be more open towards him. Maybe you're at that spot where God's been preparing you and you're ready to give your life to him, but you haven't done that yet. Maybe today would be a great day to do that. The way you do that, you just go before God and say, God, I, I want you in my life. Will you forgive me for my sin and will you enter in and allow me to begin a new life in you? Maybe that's where you're at right now. Or maybe you've done that. Maybe you're here and you're like, no, I have a relationship with God. I've, I've grown. But maybe 
your relationship with God has been more about lately you being self-reliant than about leaning into him and understanding that he's the Kinsakori artist that puts this whole thing together. And maybe you're at a place now where you need to say, God, I, I've kind of forgotten how amazing you are and how you work this process out. You see, when you think that you put it together and you gave your life to God and you did all this stuff and it's all about you, you miss out on grace. Because when you get to that spot and you realize that God has been chasing you down when you were running the other direction, and then you realize that he did that not because you can bring anything to the table, not because you were going to change and do all these great things, that he did that without that even being in the picture. He did that when you were an enemy to him. Then you begin to understand what grace is all about. And the joy that comes into your soul when you realize that me following God was more about him coming into my life and invading me than it is about what I can bring to the table and how I can behave, that's a radical transformation. That's true grace. See, grace is that God not only loves me, but he likes me just because. And when you realize that God has put together this whole thing to bring you close to him, you realize that it wasn't because of what I can bring to the table. He loves me and likes me just because. And when that truth goes from your head to your heart, boom, look out. Look and see the transformation that God does. The human soul comes alive when you understand that. So where are you at? Are you there? I would be committing pastoral malpractice if I didn't allow you a moment right now to think about that. I'm just going to shut up for a moment, and I want you to have a moment alone in quietness of your heart to just think about where you're at with God. Think about where you're at in this process. Maybe you're in that spot where you want to commit your life again to him and recommit, and you realize, you know what, I've, I've kind of gone away and drifted. Maybe for the very first time you want to ask him in. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but I want to give you the opportunity to allow him to speak. So let's go before him and do that. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you break through all the nonsense in our life, all the bad decisions, all the things we regret, all the poor experiences, all the things that we feel stiff arm us towards you. And you are big enough to break through that stuff 
and reveal in our hearts who you really are, a God of grace, a God of power, a God of majesty, a God of holiness, a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of understanding, a God of a boundless love. Lord, I just ask that you would, no matter where we are in this continuum in our relationship with you, would you help us by the power of your spirit take that next step and go deeper. Let us be overwhelmed by the love and the grace and mercy and power and majesty and awe that you are. God, if there's visions of how we view you that are different than what is reality, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you give us new eyes to see who you really are. God, if there's things in our church experience or our family experience or our past that's kind of colored and changed and jaded and made you, maybe even set you up in a way that you not really are, where you're not really like, will you tear those down and rebuild a vision of you that comes straight from your word that's bigger than ourselves, that's bigger than this life that we live on? And will you have your way within our hearts? God, we pray that you do this. And we ask this in Jesus' name.